to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. May he who began this amazing work in you bring it through until completion. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit today and always. So be it. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. All right. Welcome to our Philippians series. We're on week two. Before I get going, I just want to honor somebody who was a pastor in our church for years and is here back visiting. So Pastor Bob, could you wave your hand or stand up so we can all see you? Give aloha to Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob is one of our parts of our ohana who moved to the mainland, and he's back today. And we're just so blessed to have Pastor Bob here with us again. Amen. What I love about Hawaii is give and take. Yeah, people move away a lot, but when they come back, it's so awesome to see. And actually, this is kind of what's being reflected in Philippians. We're going to get there. But hey, this has been an awesome book. Did you know something that's really interesting about Philippians is they say that this is the the book that has the most coffee mug bumper sticker verses of all the Bible. So all of those little verses you see at like the Christian bookstore that they print out on stickers, most of them, uh, more often than not, it's out of Philippians. And so this book, most of us read it like that. We read, we know to live is, die, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We know, um, um, oh, what's that other one? <laughs> uh, Philippians 4, whatever is admirable, lovely, praiser is. All things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you. So all of these verses we know come from Philippians, but what's been really cool for me is to read in between them and see this amazing story of what God is doing with this crazy Jesus people and starting this church that is so unexpected, and it's a, such an amazing story. And so we're going to hit that today. Um, but, but before we do that, I want to show you some pictures. So if I ask you who this is, who would you say? It's Rosa Parks. It is February. It is our Black History Month, and we recognize people like Rosa Parks and they, what they did for equality in the country and beyond. And if you don't know the story of Rosa Parks, she was a lady, an African-American lady who was riding the bus one day, right in the middle of segregation, right in the middle of racism, right in the middle of white elitism in our country, and was riding the bus, and the law said if a white person was to step on the bus and you're sitting in the front, you have to move to the back so that the white person can have your seat. Now, she was an ordinary lady put in an extraordinary circumstance. When white people entered the bus and she made the decision, she had this choice. I can either stay where I'm seated, cause a scene, and who knows what's going to happen, or I can move to the back of the bus and do it as I'm told and obey the unjust laws of the land. And now she, because she chose to stay in her seat and put up a fight, now we'll remember her forever as someone, one of the pillar people who lit the, the civil rights movement on fire. And so we'll always remember her. She'll go down in history because of this ordinary person who just did something extraordinary with what they were given. Here's another example. You might know this person. Do you know who that is? Her name is Candy Leitner. That might not ring a bell for you, the name. But Candy Leitner had three kids. She was a dental assistant. And she had three kids in the mid-century, and she... Uh, had a son who was hit by a car at, at a tender age of four or five. And he lived but suffered the rest of his life with some brain trauma. And so she writes about that. And she writes about what it is to be a mom who, who has a kid with, with brain uh, disabilities and what it's like on the family. But that's not it. She also had a daughter she lost at 13 
to a drunk driver. The son who was hit when he was four or five, the driver was on pain meds, an excessive amount of pain meds. She lost a daughter at 13 to someone who's excessively over the limit of alcohol. Now at that time, there is no laws. There is no per- prosecution for people who are drinking and driving. And so you might not know who she is, but you've probably heard of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That's the mother. This is the mother who put together, lobbied people to say, hey, we need to stop this because this is homicide, legal homicide in the streets. And she recognized it wasn't just her. There were families all over the country that were losing loved ones because there was no restraint on alcohol and driving. And so she put together a team, and they changed legislation massively in this country. Um, they're the ones who, if you ever wonder why, you're like, why is America such a high drinking age? It's 21. Candy's to blame for it <laughs> or to credit for it. But she's the one who had a massive impact on our legislation here in the States and, and really fought the corruption that was the lack of laws with drinking and driving. So an amazing woman who was put in an extraordinary situation, an ordinary person who did something extraordinary when they are put in an extraordinary situation. Here's another example. You guys might know this person. This is Amy Simple McPherson. She's Canadian. Woo! So she's, but beyond Canadian, she is the founder of our four-square denomination, which is the denomination we're in here at New Hope Kailua. And she came to the States and she started a massive church in the 20s during the Great Depression when nobody had money, jobs, everything was collapsing around here. Managed to build the Angelus Temple in LA, which still has a thriving ministry. And she built it, started this denomination, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of her heart and just said, hey, there's no barriers here. We're going to just launch it, especially a woman in the 20s, to be able to lead and preach and speak like she did. Absolutely incredible. And so she was a normal lady who loved the Lord and gave her life to the Lord, and God, Holy Spirit, took her on this amazing journey that we're all still benefiting from. So another ordinary person who absolutely changed the geography of this place. And then here's another one. You guys might know this person. This is, so this is the high chiefest, 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 Kapiolani. But if you're smart, you'll recognize that's not actually the chiefest. This is the princess Kapiolani. She's the one who started the medical center in town. There's no actual picture of her great aunt who is the high chiefest Kapiolani. But if you know anything about Kapiolani, she is credited. The, the missionaries came in 1820. She grew up under the kapu system in, here in Hawaii. When she was growing up, she wanted to eat a banana, which was against the rules. It was against the kapu system. And the, if a woman was to eat a banana, kapu system would put her to death. And so she wanted to eat a banana, had a servant go and get a banana for her. She ate it, got caught. But they said, she's royalty. We can't put her to death. So they put the servant to death in her place. And so she grew up with this fear of the kapu system, the fear of rules, And something happened in 1820 when the missionaries came to Hawaii. There was a real faith experience that she had, a real conversion that she had. And you might have heard this story. In Hawaii, they're still practicing the kapu system, worshiping the gods of old. She took an entourage of people up to the crater at Kilauea. And what she did was she said, you guys are still worshiping Pele here at Halemaumau. She ate the ohelo berries, which are reserved for Pele. She threw rocks inside the crater. She preached the word of Jesus. She She praised God and prayed to Jesus at that place. And she told the people, if Pele is real, she'll strike me down and you can keep worshiping her. But if nothing happens to me, you need to know that my God is the real God. And when nothing happened to her, people in that place came to know Christ in a powerful way. And so she is credited for one of being one of the pillars of this faith being rooted here in these islands. 
that one of the, the core people who, who met God, encountered God, experienced God, and God totally radically changed her life. So it's an amazing story of not only just what happens all around the world, but even here in Hawaii, God uses very ordinary people. He also uses people in power to do amazing things. So it, with all these said, what's the common thread with all these people? If you ask the question, these people are a part of movements. They're a part of changing the, the dynamics of the culture around them. What do they have in common? Well, here is this. It's no matter if they're rich or they're poor, if they're a segregated lady on a bus or if they're a queen of a nation, if you are given the opportunity to be crazy enough to do something bold in faith, you have the power to change anything, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your status is, no matter what your finances look like, no matter what race you are. God can use anybody to do powerful things in this world. Amen? And here's one more pi picture I want to show you guys. You probably don't know who these three are. These three are actually who we're going to be talking about today. Three amazing people who changed the course of this whole world, who changed the course of the place they were at, which is modern-day Turkey. The person on the left is a Roman jail guard. The girl in the middle is a slave girl, demon-possessed slave girl. And the one on the right is a rich Asian businesswoman named Lydia. And we're going to read about their stories because God used these three very unconventional people to start an amazing movement. And he started people who, from different backgrounds, different races, all kinds of different people were crazy enough to start what God has called them to start, and that is the Church of Philippi. And so what we're going to see is how each one of these, God has used them to start this crazy thing we call the church. I love that video we played earlier because it says this place, this people, is, this is what God is doing. He's changing this world through this place and this people. And so the people of church, you and I, are called to the same calling as the guard, the slave girl, and Lydia. So let's look at their story. We read it in Acts. Acts chapter 16. So it says this. We're going to read it together because it's an amazing story. And I should say, Pastor Rick overviewed this last week really well. And why it's so important that when we read Philippians, we read it with Acts, because Acts tells us the first encounter that Paul had with the Philippian, Philippian church. So Acts 16 says this, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. The next few days we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So this is a multinational city in Rome. It's a Roman colony. It's Roman-occupied. Roman patriotism was all over this place. It was a very heavily guarded Roman city. So for the people who might not be Jewish, who are interested in the Jewish faith, they would meet at this river and talk story and learn more and hear the teachings of, of travelers who might be passing by, teachers who might be passing by. And so he said this, one of them that they encountered was this girl named Lydia from Thyatira. Thyatira? Thyatira. A merchant of expensive purple cloth. Why does that matter? Purple cloth came from India. Purple dye was coming. It was such a commodity. This woman was a successful businesswoman selling this purple dyed cloths to people. So she also worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. That's incredible. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So just hold on a sec. So this lady was not Jewish. She was Asian. She was from 
Asia Minor, Macedonia, heard the word, the, the, the teachings of this Jewish God, was intrigued enough to say, okay, I'm going to listen to teachings. And when Paul came, her heart was open enough to receive the gospel message that, that Paul brought. That's pretty incredible. That God had been processing her for a time for Paul to come and drop that seed on her. So she then leads her whole family to get baptized, invites them into her house. And this is a rich person's house. Anybody had rich friends growing up? You, you never say no when they invite you over, yeah? Because you know they get, all, they get the big TV with the newest Nintendo games and whatever it may be. They have all the bells and whistles. So when a rich person invites you over, you never say no. All right? Write that in your notes. Okay. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl, person number two, who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So this is a weird situation. Young girl has a demon in her that has the gift of being able to tell the future, has some prophetic vision. And there, these masters that owned her as a slave were making money off of the demon's work inside of her. Talk about being trapped, <laughs> you know? She was trapped on multiple levels here. Um, and so what she did is she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This is weird. They're, the demon in her is telling the truth about God, but it's almost in a mocking way to get them in trouble, to create a scene that these Jews are here doing what they ought not be doing. So this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. He's like, this demon girl is still yelling at us. That he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it instantly, it left her. This is crazy. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. In another way to say that, her freedom was secured because the masters had no more investment in her because they couldn't make any money off her anymore. So they, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city official. They're playing the race card. Look at these Jews are doing. They're causing an uproar. They're making a ruckus. Nobody likes a loud Jew in this town. Throw them in jail. So they are teaching us customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Oh, the jailer. Now he's on scene. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a second. So this day, they've been falsely accused. They've been thrown into jail. They've been beaten with rods. They're bloodied and bruised. And how do they respond while they're in shackles in the prison? They sing praises and hymns to God. Amen. <laughs> how do we, that is a crazy kind of faith that we don't even understand, if we're honest. We can't, most of us can't comprehend that kind of crazy faith. But it goes on. It says this, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. What does this tell us? This is a Roman military person. He has done a bad job in his duty if his prisoners escape. And so he saw the honorable thing for him to do because his prisoners escaped was to lay on his own sword and take his own life. But Paul shouted to him, stop, 
don't kill yourself. We're all here. Nobody's left you. Your honor is not gone. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Wait, why is he trembling? Because of the earthquake? It didn't say that. It says he fell down after they called out to him and said, we're still here. Don't kill yourself. Someone in that prison, someone who he probably was a part of beating earlier that day, said, hey, you still have value. We're still here. Don't kill yourself. Somebody was taking the val- showing value to this man who in his own right just lost all his honor because of what just happened. So he came to his knees and he, and he, he came to Paul and Silas and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a dutiful man, right? This is a person who is a blue-collar worker. He's the type of guy that he would go serve his day in the jail, go home, have a beer, watch the game, go to bed. As long as he does what he's asked to do, he does his duty well, that's what matters to him. He is a servant. And so how does Paul appeal to him here? He says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Wow. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household, all his family. Even at the hour at night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and had everyone in the household. They were all baptized. This is crazy. The guy who was beating them, the guy who put them in jail, spends that night, that same night, washing their wounds. This is is a crazy transformation. So God is calling people to do some things that are absolutely crazy. And if you see your notes today, the the notes are called pupule Jesus people because pupule is a Hawaiian word for crazy, insane. And we can't read stories like this and go home and be like, man, my mediocre faith is awesome. I love living in a comfortable world of Christianity. That's not the, the natural reaction here. The reaction here is, wow, there's something crazy going on here and that faith that's here is also my faith. This is the kind of faith I'm called to. Amen? And so what we want to, I just want to share a couple of things, you know, as we go through this scripture, that this, there's some crazy elements here. There's a crazy people, there's a crazy start to the church, and there's a crazy process that Paul invites us into. And so the crazy start of the church, if you're taking notes, number one, the origin of the Philippian church was extremely unconventional. Extremely. Usually you hear it Acts, people would go to this town, and they'd preach the good news, And people in high esteem and people with influence would come together and they would make a church happen. And it was amazing. Here in Philippi, we have a Roman guard, a demonic slave girl, and a rich businesswoman starting a church. This is unconventional. This is strange. This is crazy. And all of them were crazy enough to follow the calling that God had for their life. So what I love about this too is that when Paul writes to the letter of the Philippians, he writes from a place of jail. He says, I'm in prison. And he writes with this spirit of, he doesn't have to rebuke them. There's a maturity in Philippi by the time he's writing the letter. And if we read the origins of the church, we get why. There's a spiritual maturity because when Paul says, I am in chains, but I rejoice because of the suffering, because I'm in Christ. When he says those kinds of things, he knows that the Philippians get it. You see, Paul knew what it was like to be a slave to the jail. But he's also, and then he calls himself, but I'm, I'm more so a slave to Christ. And that slavery is way more freeing than the slavery that man can offer me. And so what he says then is, you know, he's writing to people who were entrapped by something. We, get, we read between the lines and see that Lydia was longing for something. Her business life wasn't exactly all she needed in life. She was longing for something more, a vision of who God might be. And so when Paul came... Paul came and preached the gospel to her. That was God meeting her in that moment and saying, she's like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for, 
right? She's no longer a slave to business culture. She's no longer a slave to the things that say, hey, as long as you're successful with money, then you're good, right? There's something more. Then the the demon-possessed slave girl, absolutely enslaved both to masters and to a demon. When Paul called that demon out of her, he knows when he's writing the letter, hey, you guys know what it's like to be slave to things other than Jesus. He knows they have that maturity. And the last one is the Roman guard, being slave to Rome and doing exactly what Rome asks me to do. And Paul says, hey, why don't you come and serve somebody else, a master who's good and glorious and faithful and has grace and mercy. So all of these ways, Paul knows that the people in Philippi have been slaved to masters of this earth, and they know that when they come to Jesus, they know what real dedication to Christ looks like. And so this is, these are the people he loves. Paul, uh, Paul says in Philippians 1, my heart goes out for you. My, I justify my feelings in this way because you guys are so incredible. They are an incredible people who have an incredible church. And so recognizing, too, I just want to say that God can start very unconventional, very amazing movements in unconventional ways. Have you noticed that? We noticed that with those people on screen. But do you recognize that if God has called you, there is nothing that disqualifies you from doing something absolutely incredible in the name of Jesus? Amen? And so there's something that God might have placed in your heart that might be a seed, and if we follow through with that and let the Spirit guide, it could turn into something absolutely fruitful and massive. We can change the demographics. We can change the geography of this place, the spiritual geography of this place, by what the Holy Spirit can do. It's amazing. So don't write yourself off. That's really what I want to say is don't say, think that there's some kind of barrier where God couldn't use me because I only go to church once a week. Why would God want to use me? God literally, guys, God used the, a demon-possessed slave. How much lower expectations would we have on people? How much lower could it possibly get? God set the bar really low for us. He says, I can use anybody. So if God can use a demon-possessed slave to have this foundational testimony to the start of this church, he could use anybody. He could use any one of us. And so what we need to do is make sure that if we're going to expect God to do amazing things, it starts with a flexible heart and a flexible spirit to be able to say, God, if you want to do something awesome, and if you want to use me, use me in a powerful way, that we can have open eyes and open hearts and flexible spirits to say yes whenever he might call. Amen? Because like Lydia, she might have been going to the river for months, waiting for that something to click. And the day Paul came was like, yes, it clicked. And her whole house got baptized. Incredible. So, crazy start to this church. We can learn that, hey, God can do something crazy with us too. We're just as crazy as these people. Number two, with crazy people, we recognize that the gospel shatters in this story racial and social barriers. It shatters racial and social barriers. And this is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel, is that people all over the world with different cultures and different backgrounds can experience the same love of Christ through the lens of their own culture the same way that I can experience the love of Christ through mine. And that's incredible. Um, And not only can it break through, but it's supposed to. Do you recognize this? That how did he start Philippi? A rich Asian businesswoman a poor, next-to-nothing, demonically-possessed slave girl, and a Roman blue-collar prison guard who was Roman, a Roman, a Greek, and an Asian, a, a greater Asia, uh, sorry, Asia Minor, girl from Asia Minor, all different ethnicities, all different social backgrounds. God's like, you know what? I'm going to use the gospel to unify them to start something amazing, what we call the church. That's incredible. Um, Every time I travel around the world, it's so cool to see how God lays fingerprints in every single culture. And our job is to make sure that we're expecting 
God to show up with different people in very similar ways, that it's not our job, that the West, right? We live in America where the West doesn't have this monopoly on Jesus and we take it out to everybody else, but God is actually already there. And if we change our perspective to see how God is moving in other cultures, we get the, a way more bigger and dynamic view of who God is. And that's the best thing for us. Amen? And I want to just end with this. It's a story. Um, it happened this last week, and I've seen, this is how I've seen the gospel jump a barrier, shatter a barrier, is I was part of a, a panel discussion with some educators, um, with a couple pastors, and on their side, they're educators, and the topic of discussion was the LGBT community. And it's a sensitive one. It's a tense one. We walked into the room, and we felt a physical tension, a barrier, a physical barrier in that room. And we knew that they've already labeled us. They've already know, they think they know exactly what we believe and what we stand for. So we just prayed. We're like, God, whatever love looks like in this situation, help us to be that. <laughs> That's the easiest thing. It's like, help us to be love. And what's great is um, I came in kind of with my thoughts and my verses and everything prepared. The way the conversation went, we heard the hurt. We heard the bitterness. We heard the things coming out of that side, which was like, Wow. You guys have gone through a lot with Christianity, with churches, with, with the church culture, and there is real, real tangible pain there. And one of the pastors I was with just broke down and started crying. He's like, we're so sorry. I've never seen that kind of, I, we didn't realize that the church has caused you guys so much pain, and we represent the church. We're pastors. He's just, can you forgive us? And can we work, can we, and I kid you not, everyone in the room was crying, and this barrier that felt so tense just, sucked out of the room, and we started to be able to relate on a human level. And what's great is we had that moment after those tears, we had like, hey, we believe in Jesus. We believe he is love. And we're sorry for what happened in the past, but we believe that there's a future where we can love you better than we have in the past. And there's a future for, you know, for more conversations about why we believe what we believe, why we stick to scripture with things like marriage. But in that place, we got to share the name of Jesus and be love. And it was an, probably one of the most healing conversations I've been a part of. And I've seen the gospel, when the gospel is manifested in love, absolutely shatter barriers every time. And so whatever it's a social barrier, if it's a political barrier, if it's a racial barrier, God has his way of shattering those things so he can make his people one together. Amen? And God is continuing to do that. And I love that he does that. But um, number three in your notes is this. Not only does he shatter the gospel, shadow, shatter those kind of barriers, but we also see that Jesus meets us in crazy specific ways. This is what we get out of this story. Okay, so what does this businesswoman who needs the truth and the hope of the gospel, who needs to see beyond her business, beyond the success of this life, she's looking for something greater, what does she need? God meets her with the gospel message that appeals to her intellect. Yeah, so Jesus shows up and says, hey, this is through Paul, through the gospel of Paul, he says, hey, this is the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth of the life. He died for your sins. You have resurrection in his name. And Lydia got it. Something snapped. So God had preparing the soil in her heart for her to receive that message that day. So Jesus can show specifically up when, to people who need to hear it in their intellect. Then what did the girl, the slave girl, what did she need to see the power of God that day? A girl who's under the oppression of a demonic force and of slave masters. What did she need? She needed the power of the Holy Spirit that day. And Jesus came, and he came in power. And he freed her of the demon and freed her of her masters all in one, one fell swoop. Incredible. So Jesus showed up in love to that girl through power of the Holy Spirit. Incredible. 
And then what about the Roman guard? A Roman guard was looking for someone to serve who was worthy, who gave him value. And what did Jesus show up through? Through Paul? Jesus showed up in that prison, and Paul said, hey, why don't you follow my God? Believe in my God. Serve like you served Rome. Serve the kingdom of God. And it changed the direction of his whole life. So whether it's power, intellect, or service, or whatever it could be, Jesus is trying to meet us where we're at. That's something we need to take away. God will continue to be that shepherd who's pulling in the sheep one at a time, wherever, whatever needs they have. And I want to just, you know, make it really clear. Don't write anybody off. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Sometimes there's people so unexpected that I'm like, Jesus could never reach them. There's people that are so deep that seem so far away from God. We're like, why would God? God would never use somebody like that. But God continually blows our expectations by the people he chooses. Amen? I'm blown away. I'll tell you a story. Quick story is when we were in church probably five or six years ago, there was a, a, a family in church, beautiful family in our church, and they had a daughter who was in her 30s, maybe 40, and she was high on the autistic spectrum. My jo- even my heart as a pastor, I feel like, well, if you have certain disabilities, God can't really use you the same as he uses everybody else. And boy, was I wrong. Oh, so wrong. This person, this girl, lady who was in our church, who was high on the autistic spectrum, was the probably still to this day one of the most encouraging people I've ever met in my life. Her job when she came to church, church was her favorite place. All she would do was lift people up and she'd give them encouragement and say, can I pray for you? This is somebody who has, we would say, oh, God has a certain, because of your limitations, God can't do something amazing in you. And my, my heart was blown away. I'm like, man, this girl has a bigger ministry than I do. She's like, I'm a pastor. I can see half of you guys on a given Sunday. She went around to the whole church and prayed for everybody. That's crazy. She had a massive ministry. She was doing amazing work because, not because of her limitations, because she had a heart for the Holy Spirit. She had a heart for Jesus. She loved Jesus. She had a crazy faith. It wasn't just a normal faith. And so I can sit here and learn from man. Not even psychological barriers can get in the way. So racial barriers, social barriers, psychological barriers, physical limitations, all of these things mean nothing when Christ is in control and he can do amazing things through anybody. Amen? And that's one thing I'm still learning is don't write anybody off. Is there someone in your life who's written off like, oh, God couldn't go after them. God couldn't win them over. It's like, really? Are you sure about that? Oh, that person, they couldn't make a big influence. No, no, they're not worth the time. Because I know for me, every time I say that, God has his way of proving him wrong, proving me wrong. And I would just pray this too, is that we would have flexible hearts and spirits to be able to say, wow, God could use anybody. Let's not write anybody off. In the kingdom, we are of equal value. Amen? That when we are sons of daughters of the Most High, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We come from an equal platform. So I believe that God can do amazing things through anybody, no matter the circumstance. Okay, so that is these, God started these, this crazy church with crazy people, and he invites us into this absolutely crazy process. Super crazy process. Let's read Philippians 1 together. Philippians 1.15 starts here. It says, It's true that some, that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach out of Christ with pure motives. What he's talking about here is when, whenever there's a, a big movement and it's centered around one leader, if that leader's taken out, which, which Paul was in prison here, a lot of times people don't, there's a fight for leadership, and oh, we ought to do this, and oh, we should be doing this, and I'm, no, I should be preaching over here because I'm a better preacher. And so all the motives are getting skewed of what's going out. And so he's, he's addressing that, and he's saying, they preach because they love me. They know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. So some people are preaching to please me. Though others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, 
They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerity, intending to make my chains more painful to me. He's like, my, as I sit in prison, it's getting worse and worse because their motives are so bad. But he says this, that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. This is insane. This is a crazy faith to be able to say, hey, it doesn't matter what's being said or why people are saying what they're saying. As long as they're preaching the gospel of Jesus, we're winning. This is what he's saying. And this rivalry still happens today. If you're in the church world, you know, there's people who say like, oh, don't listen to that preacher. He's, ooh, (laughs) you know what I mean? We, We get like that with a lot of people. And we start saying things like, hey, you know, we see mega church pastors on stage and they have huge crowds. We're like, oh, they're just entertaining people. They just want fame and they just want this. And we can start nitpicking people who are preaching the gospel from things that we see. And if Paul were here, he'd be like, guys, you're missing the point. Christ is being preached. And when the word of God goes out, it doesn't come back void. So when it's going out, seeds are being planted. When the word of God, when the gospel is going out, people's lives are being changed. Paul had such a faith in the gospel that he knew that our motives can't taint what God is doing. Does that make sense? He had such a faith in the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus' gospel, that he knew that there's nothing we could do in our own selfish motives to take away the will of God, that that is going to go out and change lives. That's incredible. So he says this, for I I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Wow, powerful. So if you're taking notes, the next one is this, is the gospel breaks down our or sorry, breaks through our own issues. It breaks through our own issues. There are issues where we feel like, oh, God can't use me. I can't share my faith. I'm, I only go to church once or twice a month. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can't do this. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I hear that all the time. Pastor Mark, I don't, know, I don't know how to preach the gospel because I don't really know. It's like, has God changed your life? Yeah, that's the gospel. Go tell somebody. <laughs> it's that simple. And here's, here's what, we wanted, what Paul would say. Is Paul, in this place, Paul would say, As long as Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ is going out, we are winning. And so let me challenge you, who are you telling? Who are you telling your faith to? This is really, really important. Sometimes we feel like, hey, as a Christian, my job is to know the truth and sit and cover it up and sit on it like a nice juicy egg. Ah, At least I know the gospel that I'm good. And Paul says this, he says, no, 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 the Holy Spirit is not a lake, it's a river. And so the, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and sit in you, the Holy Spirit comes in you because he wants to get out of you. And what a river does is a river changes the geography of the land, and he wants the Holy Spirit in you to change the geography, the spiritual geography of this place. He wants the Holy Spirit to go out and do a good work and preach the gospel. So for all of us, whatever your issue is that is keeping you from your faith or from sharing your faith, Paul would be here in this place saying, what are you waiting for? That's, that's it? That's all you got? That's your only issue? As long as Jesus is being preached, Christ crucified, we are expecting God to do something amazing. And so do motivations of preaching matter? Yes. We want to help and shape people to preach out of the right heart. But what he's saying here is don't overlook the big picture that Jesus is at work and he's going to use his gospel to go forward. Amen? So don't get stuck in your issues. Break through those issues, the gospel, and get that gospel out. And I want to ask this question. I missed it before, but how has he reached you? How has God reached you? He's a very specific God. How has he pulled you? If I asked testimonies around this room and said, how has God reached his hand out? How has he brought you into his family? We'd get different answers. We'd have some people say like, hey, I was at rock bottom and God saved me and I came to a place to know him because he was my refuge and my strength. 
We'd have some people say, I was, I was led astray, and I found out that he was the truth. And when I found out he was the truth, he convicted my heart to follow him with everything I have. Some people would say that I was, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was chasing the ways of the world, and, and he found me in that. And now I'm, I'm found, and I'm in his family. And no matter what the story is, I want to just remind us that, man, the people in your life are God's calling. How has God called you specifically to talk to them? It, couldn't, it wasn't just anybody who that showed up to the river to teach Lydia about the gospel. It had to have been Paul. I believe that. It was Paul's message that Jesus spoke through. And for many of us, we've had somebody in our life that preached the gospel at the right time. So I pray that for you to start thinking in your heart, who might that be that needs to hear the gospel from me? Because oftentimes we write it off. Oh, the pastor can teach this person about the Bible. And I get those calls all the time. Pastor, can you talk to my uncle? He don't know Jesus. Like, why don't you talk to your uncle? I don't know him. You know what I mean? And sometimes we think that, like, we pass the kuleana of, of, of evangelism, of bringing some to the Lord. We're like, well, let's give that to the, the people who know what they're doing. No, no, no. This is an invitation for all of us. Who in your life needs to know Christ, and how might you be a part of that? So important, because that's what a crazy faith looks like. It's not a comfortable faith. It's a crazy one. This is what Paul would say. <laughs> what are you doing to witness to those people in your families, in your friend groups? Such an important question. But the last one is this. He breaks through our issues. Another part of the crazy process is that the hope of Jesus overrides our circumstances. The hope of Jesus overrides our circumstances. This is amazing. Let's take a look at this verse, Philippians 1.20. You guys know this one. For I fully expect that the hope that will never be ashamed uh, expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wow. That's a powerful, powerful sentence. You see, Paul here, you've heard the phrase that sometimes you get stuck between a rock and a hard place. Paul's not stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's stuck between the rock of salvation and the heavenly place. He's in a win-win situation. He's, look at what he says next. He says this, But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I could die and I'll be with Christ. That would be awesome. I could live and I could keep preaching the gospel to people and that would be awesome too. He is in a win-win situation. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But if for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience what? The joy of your faith. Why is Paul living? What keeps him going? He wants you to experience the joy of your faith, not the obligation of your faith. There's joy in it. There's something happy and, and glad and, and satisfying about clinging on to Christ in every situation. And so the point here is that the hope of Jesus overrides our circumstances. Where, think of it this way. Paul is the most annoying Christian of all time. He's the most annoying, right? He comes to Rome and they're like, we're going to kill you. And he's like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. They're like, okay, well, we'll put you in prison and we'll beat you and torture you. And he's like, the pain I experienced here on earth pales in comparison to the glory I have in Christ. That's annoying. That's a high bar that he set for all of us to sit here and be like, man, I have to, I have to follow that kind of faith. That's insane. But here's the thing. That's a crazy kind of faith. Amen? And that's what we're called to. And I want to make sure that we're always challenging our hearts to be called to something crazier than what we're, ex what we're normally experiencing in our Christian walk. 
And so he says this amazing phrase, we get this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here's what we normally do. To die is gain. I get that. When I die, I'm with Jesus. Amen. Things are going to be good. But to live is Christ? No, no, no. To live is work and to die is gain. That's most of our stories. Oh yeah, that's a good story. I work hard my whole life. I try to follow Jesus, but I get Jesus at the end. Amen. That's not, what, that's not a crazy faith. That's a very normal, it's a very eh kind of faith. Some of us, it's to live is school, to live is sports, to live is marriage, to live is whatever, fill in the blank, whatever is driving you here in this life. And to die is gain. Jesus, you guys, Jesus isn't just trying to win your hearts to get into heaven. He's trying to change the whole dichotomy of this place here on earth through you. And so Paul knew that. Paul was in Christ. He was through Christ. He was with Christ. Everything he did revolves around Jesus. And so he knew that, that to live is Christ, to die is gain, because when I live for Christ, when I die, I get more Christ. It's a win-win. It's the Chinese finger trap of winning. You guys ever had one of those? Yeah, one Chinese finger trap, and you pull one side, and you cannot get your finger out. That's where Paul was. He was stuck. He's like, if I pull this finger out, you know, if I lean this way, I get to live longer on earth and to keep having, experiencing the joy of my salvation. If I go this way and I die, if they kill me here in Rome, it's cool because I get to be with Jesus. What kind of crazy pupule kind faith would it take to live in that kind of reality? That's amazing. And so whatever it is, you fill in the blank. To live is blank. Can I ask you to challenge your heart and say, why is it not Christ? Where is Christ in it? To live is Christ. Christ is why I live. I live because of Christ, for Christ, through Christ. Everything is in Christ. And when I die, that's where my gain is because I get more Christ. He is in the, the best predicament of all time. And God is calling us into that same Chinese finger trap. He's calling us into the same position where we're so stuck. We're so torn between living a great life here and also living boldly where death means nothing to us. So may I ask you, can you be courageous in your faith? Can you ask somebody who might be like, oh, I don't know if I can share my faith with them right now, but pray about it because there's guarantee there's someone in your life who needs to hear the gospel through you specifically. God didn't call us into a bystanding faith. He didn't call us to come and to kind of a watch and listen as, as things change around us and not be a part of it. Amen? So for, for us to actually fulfill the Great Commission and do what God has called us here on earth, all of us have to be a part of that. So let me ask you this. How bold is your faith? How crazy is your faith? Is the, the story of your faith normal? Or is there, is there room for something amazing to happen still? Here's what I think happens. It says this. It says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is writing the story of our faith. For many of us, we're living in an expecting faith. We know the ending of the story already. I'm going to live my life this way, and I'm going to get to the end of the story, and it's going to end, and I'm going to be with Christ the end. And there's no room for God to blow our minds anymore. If we ask this prayer and say, God, can you actually come in and do something new in my life, do something crazy in my life? Here's what I get, bet will happen. He'll take that story he's writing. He'll rip those middle pages out. He'll write something new and stick it right in the middle. He says, now try living that. It's crazy. It's bold. But there's always time. And I've seen people come to do amazing things in their faith way later in their years. Your days, if you're a kupuna here this morning, your days are not up. You still have so much time to do amazing things for God. And this is what he's calling us to. And I just want to close in this. Did you know this? That the word pupule, when I say you have one pupule kind of faith, one crazy faith, Kalei verified this with me, and so did one Hawaiian dictionary. 
But uh, I, I had to double check, Kale. But here's what's crazy. The word pule means prayer. You know where, what makes the Hawaiian word crazy? Pu pule, praying continually. That starts. So if you want to start a, a crazy faith right here right now, pray continually. Pray s- without ceasing. Pray forever. Pray crazy prayers for people. Pray for people who you think God can never get a hold of because they're too far gone. Pray for people who think you're too sick to be healed. Pray for those types. And that's where the craziness of your faith will start taking action. You'll get real one pupule faith, one crazy praying faith. Amen? So here's what I want you to do this morning is start thinking right now, who in my life needs Jesus? Because if we read the words of Paul and we don't see the heart of Paul, we totally miss it. The heart of Paul is that all people would come to know who their Savior is. So who is in your life that needs to know Christ, that might need to hear it from you? That's my question. And what we're going to do is we're going to bow our heads together and we're going to pray for that person right here because a crazy faith is a praying faith. Amen? So let's stand together as we pray for this. If you would stand with me, bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture that person, whoever comes to heart. And I know everything in your spirit is going to tell you it's not going to work. Yeah, this is, I'm going to think about this person, but I know that there's so many barriers. There's so much relationship at stake. There's so many things that are going to get in the way between this person actually coming to know Christ. And what you're doing right there is you're putting God in a box that he can't do something that is absolutely crazy. And all I know is I get one pupule kind Jesus. He's not a normal Jesus. He's a crazy Jesus. And I believe he can do crazy things. So let's pray for that right now. Jesus, I pray for whoever you are stirring in our hearts. I pray that whoever that is, a family member, a friend, somebody who is hurt, somebody who is um, lost, somebody who is following the wrong ways of life, I pray, Jesus, that you would give us the boldness to not exclude ourselves from this process and say that somebody else will bring them to Christ. Somebody else will share their faith. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be that person right here. They would call us out forward in faith to preach to that person a gospel of truth, a gospel of hope, a gospel of mercy and grace to that person. Jesus, I pray that if we don't have the words, that you would give us the words. Jesus, I pray if we don't have the right timing, that you would make the time. I pray, Lord, that you, we know your heart. You're a shepherd who is looking for his sheep. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be in that process to bring your sheep home. So God, whoever it may be, God, give us the crazy kind of faith to make us step out of what's normal, to make us break relationship barriers, to be able to speak the truth and life and wisdom into whoever needs to hear it. Jesus, I thank you that the resurrection that we live in, the resurrection that Paul personified, is a resurrection that comes after death, not before death. In other words, we need to die to something to live in the resurrection. And I pray, Lord, whatever that needs to be to die in our spirit, whatever needs to die in our ego, whatever needs to die in our, in our sins and our trespasses, we pray, Jesus, that you would make those things right so that we could walk in the resurrection power of you. So Jesus, I just pray for everyone here to walk out full in faith boldly, courageously, that our faith wouldn't be a relaxed one, that our story wouldn't be an expected story, but God, that you would continue to do the unexpected with these crazy Jesus people. We love you and pray these things in your name this morning. Amen. 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 Can we give God some love this morning? Amen. Hey, good news is to live as Christ or to die as gain. You have nothing to lose, Christians. Go out there, be bold, and I pray that you have an amazing week. Come eat with us and let's fellowship together. See you next week.